Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. Betches Media presents. If you feel depressed and if you feel anxious and you feel confused, you know what? Welcome to the club. Gazpacho police. Oh my God. What a stupid son of a bitch. He believes that it's a woman's right, it's a woman's body, and it's her choice. The Betches Sup Podcast. Sayonara, sucker. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Better Stuff Podcast, where C's man meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. And today, celebrity gossip. These are the intersections I just pray for. They are so infrequent, but when they come, they are just such a treat, aren't they? They are. They are. This is, this is a good one. When I saw this notification, I was like, hmm, okay. Oh, wow. What kind of... I need to sign up for whatever push notifications you're getting. No, I need you to don't. get this it's via text. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that must be chaos. It is. Yeah. One thing that really pisses me off is they've been doing a notification every Friday since January 20th, 2022, hmm. 2021, which is like, it's a compilation of like the first families. And they basically write about Trump family and Biden's family and like they'll also sometimes do like a little Clinton's to situation. So it's like, I don't know, it makes yeah. me annoyed. Bothers There's me. There's also some not suitable for sup stuff going on with Hunter Biden too, right? <laughs> yeah, I was actually I just watching yesterday. a series something about that. But oh, I, I didn't know where that was going to go, Sammy, when you started saying, yeah, I was just watching because uh, a TikTok. <laughs> Okay, oh, a TikTok. A not, TikTok. Not, the, not the video that people are discussing. Yeah, okay. We'll, we'll talk about, maybe we talk about that another maybe time this or is never. Why we do need, a, we do need a bo- some bonus things that are behind some sort of wall. <laughs> yeah. I, I oh, maybe know. we can talk about this at the live show. Oh, yes. We should tell everyone. Come to the live show. July 30th. July 30th. I'm going to start putting it at the end of, of every of every description. But I we still have not um, I still have not said what the celebrity gossip story is. So you're probably waiting with bated breath if you have not heard. But Huma Abedin, longtime aide to Hillary Clinton and just like chicest person alive, second to her, you know, professional accomplishments is chicest person alive, is reportedly dating actor Bradley Cooper. So how would Huma Abedin have met Bradley Cooper through Anna Wintour, apparently? They met like a couple months ago. I think they went to the most recent Met Gala together, but they like arrived separately and took pictures separately. And remember when we were there, we were kind of like, I was kind of like, oh, like what is what is she like doing here? It sounds like maybe she went Bradley Cooper, or I mean, I'm sure Anna Wintour if they're if they're besties. But Abedin, of course, was married to Anthony Weiner, the disgraced Democrat former former Democratic congressman from New York, who served 15 months in federal prison after he was convicted of sex of sending sexual content to a minor. Abedin and Wiener live in co-parent in the same Union Square building I read um, today, which sounds like an interesting existence, having to like run into your ex-husband in the elevator every day. I personally love this pairing. I think they're great together. What do you guys think? I like it. My first reaction was like, is this an attempt at a George Clooney cosplay? Like, is it is it strategic? Is it strategic? I saw one headline that was like, well, they're both, you know, big figures in in like philanthropy and public affairs. And I'm like, they are Bradley Cooper. Is it like, what's maybe Bradley Cooper is. doing? Maybe he's maybe giving, he is. Maybe, maybe he's, he's working on it. I had a serious moment where I, I too was like, Oh, 
oh, Bradley Cooper. Like, I was like, good for him. Like, I was kind of interested in, like, what is she? I was, like, hoping for her. Because, you know, the thing about, like, like having the whole, like, trash explosion of a man that that happened to her is, like, you're always out there Mm -hmm. worrying, like, (laughs) oh, my God, please don't let the next one get the another trash explosion you know it's a, the Halle Berry route where it just keeps no matter which one you pick it seems to mm-hmm. never go well so here's hoping for <laughs> that, that like I'm like she deserves it good enough for her please yeah. okay <laughs> it's funny because it's like I can't decide who got the better end of the deal yeah, exactly. I think I think Bradley Cooper probably did, but also like good for I, he's I don't really know. Really good looking. He's really good looking. They're the same age. I'm sure they're having a great time. I read in her book, like she says in her book that she, which is a great read, uh, that she was a virgin when she got married. So I'm glad she's out there with Bradley Cooper, not being a virgin anymore. That's she deserves that. She deserves that. But this had me thinking of other like politics Hollywood matches that Anna Wintour could could make to help fill. I personally have had a Rosario Dawson and Cory Booker shaved heart or hole in my heart since they since they broke up, which this does kind of fill it. But you know, there really aren't many single people in Congress. I'm sure there are more than this, but in the Senate there is Kirsten Cinema, who I think should date Vince Vaughn. <laughs> He's like a trolley Trumpy guy, right? Is he that bad? No, he's not. Uh, he's annoying. Is he's he? not. I mean, oh, oh, the no. scale has changed, right? But like, he like, what did he do? He like goes Maybe up to Trump at like no. sports events and shakes his hands and is like, great job. Oh, yes, that was yes. pre-January that 6th. That was pre-January that 6th. Okay. I didn't realize he did that. So that makes a lot of sense then. Mm-hmm. Did you, did you come with a, with a dream, with a matchmaker? For some reason, I am thinking... Maybe it's the Bradley Cooper of it all, but I'm envisioning Lady Gaga with Cory Booker. <laughs> oh, I like that. That that is a very intriguing pair. I'm Cory um, Booker's really all we got to work with. We know he respects like, you know, a triple threat. So Yep. He can do long distance. I mean, maybe not. They did break up. They seem like soulful individuals. <laughs> She right? could go with him and do his like daily TikTok affirmations in the streets of Jersey City like or New York or wherever he lives. They both seem connected to themselves, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great one. I think that's a great one. Caitlin, did you? What do you think? Uh, I noticed that on this list, Tim Scott is single, and my yeah. immediate thought is a Stacy Dash Tim Scott crossover. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. That too. would probably be one of the best things to happen to the Republican Party <laughs> ever, branding wise. And for that reason, I do not, I do not. No, I that. mean, it would, it'd be funny just, <laughs> but part, just yeah. to hear. I would, I would just want it for the Black Twitter commentary. To be completely honest, and oh, to so see good. what would happen if you mix Stacey Dash and Tim Scott together, like. There's a lot of stuff that I'm not allowed to say on air, but I will say that <laughs> what would the jokes that would come out of that would be magnificent. And I trust my people to come through. Yeah, nothing we could probably say on this podcast, <laughs> but that would be great. Tim Scott's 56. She's probably about the same age. Tim Scott, of course, the Republican senator from South Carolina. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you are searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. 
Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone on any occasion. Now it's easier to find gifts made by independent sellers for all of the people in your life, like the pickleballers, I know plenty of those, the jazz fan, the artist, the pasta lover, whatever niche interest they have, you can find an incredible gift on Etsy. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there is something for everyone. There is so much pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas specifically for my dad, but my dad loves flying, he loves airplanes, he loves aviation, and he never gets sick of a cute little gift that has a reference to that. And the inventory for that on Etsy is incredible. I hope my dad lives for 200 years because I can get him a birthday present related to aviation or planes from Etsy for every single one of them, if not hundreds and hundreds of years more. There really is that much. A gifting moment is always around the corner, but whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. All right, now we have to return to reality and we'll break down yesterday's 7th January 6th hearing. Although I think that Sidney Powell and Tim Scott could make a good match maybe. Somebody some one of these one of these clowns deserves to have to spend some time with Sidney Powell. Rudy and Sidney Powell could make uh, a good match. <laughs> It's so crazy you said Ruli Giuliani because I have never, it's not like I think around thinking about everybody as a sexual being, but it has never occurred to me that that is an aspect of Ruli Giuliani's humanity, affection or romance. I mean, I've seen their chemistry in some of the fascist press conferences and it's undeniable. There are sparks. There are sparks. <laughs> Too many. Too many sparks lighting up the country, in fact. But I mean this. Like, I wish I was, I, I'm actually not kidding at all. Like, no, I, I know. I think you're I right. Sparks are flying. I this thought that the two of them, like, just seem deeply cut from the same delusional cloth. And I think that they would make sense. It also makes sense. They love to cover up crime with scandal. And... This they have plenty in common. They have plenty in common. If they met organically in the world, I'm sure that they would hit it off immediately. And probably... Who knows what destruction they would they could uh, could pursue? But now we'll break down yesterday's seventh January sixth hearing. We're really winding down here. Is it the last one that's next week? They say it might be the last one next week. Wait, next week? On, uh, I thought it was this Thursday too, but it's July twenty first is okay. the next. Because I know that they had thought that there might be ones in September that they might like do the August recess and then come back in September. So like. Like, they've been kind of, like, playing it by ear a little bit. So I don't want to say this is definitively the end. Because yeah. I don't think they themselves will say it's definitively the end, depending on what gets on earth. Got it. Yeah, they've said it might be the last. I don't want it to be the last. I think they should keep going. But I have a feeling the reason they're not saying it's the last is because they are counting on getting more testimony. And every time more gets put out there someone's like, oh, fuck, I'm fucked anyway. I might as well just talk <laughs> right. to them. <laughs> right. I mean, even Liz Cheney started yesterday's hearing by saying, like, you know, Trump and some of his allies' strategy towards us has completely changed, you know, since we since we started. And yesterday's hearing was definitely, um, I don't want to say one of the more explosive ones because they've all been really, had a lot of um, 
clashes to unveil. But this hearing covered the period between December 14th, which is when states finalized the electoral vote to the morning of January 6th, and how Trump manipulated his supporters into believing the election had been stolen from him. And this could only be rectified by potentially violent means, which is basically how most of these hearings have gone down is the framing. But the committee in this one emphasized that these efforts persisted past that December 14th date. And they stressed that December 14th date a lot. It's, it's an important marker for them because it's when most people around Trump that they are sort of giving, you know, the sheen of respectability for, you know, on this scale of respectability, believed that there was no more path to contesting the results. They had pursued litigation. They had lost 60 of 61 cases. Um, Kaylee McEnany says that's when she started looking for other jobs. Ivanka said that's, you know, when Bill Barr told her this is really over. Again, they had lost 60 of 61 cases, which is always worth repeating to me because Trump sort of acts like we had no legal recourse whatsoever. We have no other options, but they pursued many, many paths. And despite this, Representative Jamie Raskin explained that their efforts went as far as officials suggesting that the Department of Justice should seize voting machines. This is a plan that Barr rejected. And eventually, Trump and other advisors drafted an executive order demanding that the Secretary of Defense seize, collect, retain, and analyze all machines. We did know that before, right? We did. Yeah. Um, it's just like, it's hard to keep track of all of the different yeah. And yeah. the way that they had like the, you know, the line cutouts to see it written and like the executive order type of font, whether it was or not, was just like, Jesus, that could have been really fucking scary. And, you know, then Cipollone and Barr just saying like, yeah, it was crazy. That was crazy. We could never do something like that. And that seems to be where this brings us to the unhinged December 18 meeting. I think you have to call it unhinged whenever you reference the meeting. I think that's just part of the meeting name. So a lot yeah. of the first hour focused on this. Yes, totally. The meeting was was self-described as unhinged. <laughs> yeah. um, but if I if there was one thing that I wish that I could like, this is one of the most important points. This meeting is when he realized that real coup was off the table and fake coup or sp fake spontaneous coup, which is what January 6th was, was going to be the new plan. And this is when he realized that there was no way to break the system and that he was going to just have to use sheer force to kind of like consolidate that, that line of thought that Sammy brought up, yeah. which is like mm -hmm. everything that he had been trying to do was like through the system, through the veneer of legitimacy, like the courts agreeing or lawyers saying, or the apparatus of government agreeing and then he was like, well, we're not going to be able to do this, so I'll put shit is. And like he went with like, okay, so we assemble the brown shirts and we unleash them on the legislators. I am literally choosing these words very particularly because they are exactly that energy. Yeah, and I think if there's another, if there's a, another fact that I would want to be just like implanted in every American's brain it is the changing of the perception that this was random or spontaneous and instead describe it as a situation where the crowd, the average MAGA crowd was actually acting as like a Trojan horse for the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys and the violent extremists who were literally planning to murder and or kidnap lawmakers. That was their plan. And the way that they were getting in was through this cover that the crowd created, that they were this like spontaneous, 
crowd who was just like marching harmlessly. But in reality, they were literally a disguise for the actual militias who were going to murder the line of succession. Yeah, and I think the 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 guy that was the former spokesman to the Oath Keepers like kind of spoke to that. He said he like it's current leader stopped to buy the I think what is it Stephen Rhodes stopped Stewart. to buy weapons on Stewart on his way to of course it's Stewart on his sorry Stewart's on his way to D.C. and he shipped seven thousand dollars worth of tactical gear to a January rally planner in Virginia before the attack. That is not a spontaneous. I don't know seven thousands of dollars worth of tactical gear weeks in advance is. It's petrifying. It's a terrorist attack. I also want to be clear that we, there's been this cover, like rhetorically and ideologically, that these people are afraid of losing their place in an economically changing world that has given more space to ethnic and religious minorities. And the answer is no, these are very well off people who know exactly what side their bread is buttered on, and they would like to keep it that way, and they will do so via any means necessary. This is not a revolt of the poor and the dispossessed. This is a revolt of the rich against the systems of democracy. This is the aristocracy. Okay, this is the CEO of Overstock.com. This country <laughs> losing their fucking minds. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you don't have $7,000 worth of tactical gear if you're experiencing economic insecurity. <laughs> Let's just say that. I do not have seven grand right now. Like in, in the worst case scenario of anything happened in my life, like, no, I do not have that money. So the idea that you could have seven grand in tactical gear and ship it to someone to, by the way, again, assault the government for an election that you lost. Like, again, this was a, a free and fair election. Well, it is a free and fair election, but the the structure of how we get yeah. up elections is very fucked up, you know? So the voter suppression, lots of other things. But the point is, is that we won, okay? We won that election very clearly. He won by 8 million votes. It's not even close. And the Electoral College made it seem that way. But, mm -hmm. like, I think this is made very clear I hope it does, that we should be getting rid of the Electoral College because this is going to be the leverage point for every anti-democratic internal domestic terrorist that thinks they can get their hands on the executive branch. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. Like this meeting failed or some of the aspects of this plan failed only only barely. So let's talk about what sort of went down apparently during this unhinged meeting. Sidney Powell, she was there. So were Michael Flynn and former Overstock CEO Patrick Byrne. They were apparently let in. They didn't have a planned meeting. They were not part of the formal like advisory team. They were let in by a junior White House staffer and got to Trump's office and spoke with him for a while before White House advisors realized they had entered. And it seems like they were really sort of Planting in his head, I'm sure it was already there, like these guys, your official guys have betrayed you. They're not telling you about these roots that you already have as they're outlining, you know, trying to show them an international conspiracy involving Venezuela and numerous other countries hacking voting machines and all of this. And then, you know, they're literally showing diagrams of this. And then like Pat Cipollone comes in and it sounds like they're all just yelling at each other. The word pussy was apparently uh, exchanged. Rudy Giuliani is like, at one point I was just hanging out by myself in the cabinet room, which was kind of cool. Uh, there's pictures of Mark Meadow like escorting Rudy out, which Crutchy Hessens is like, because he keeps wandering back in and we can't let him get to the president. This is a six hour this is a six hour ordeal, which ends in a really kind of important way, like Sammy said, with Trump basically tweeting at one in the morning that 
He believed after speaking to them that it was statistically impossible to have lost the 2020 election and that January 6th would be wild. And that moment is pretty important. I I think it's interesting that people often draw the parallel of like a dictator to, especially in Trump's capacity to like a, an abusive parent. And I think anyone who's grown up in a chaotic or abusive household could, the first thing I thought when I heard like a six hour screaming match was like, that sounds just like a chaotic home. You know, like offices, workplaces don't have six hour blowout fights that end at midnight. Like that's a family, that is a problem. That is a like, yeah, only only dysfunctional family dynamic. Like, and I think that that is very interesting that that is sort of like where it all came to a head once Trump realized that there was no, there was no more legitimate course of, there's no more pretending to have a legitimate course of action. Even it was like, this was the thing people said he wasn't going to leave. And this was the time when he was supposed to say, I will leave. And exactly. he did it. And you, sh- and like, it was obvious that this was going to happen. And of course where it starts is where it ends started with grabbing by the pussy. And it ends with Rudy Giuliani calling the Trump lawyers who stuck around for four years that they're pussies because mm-hmm. they don't want to, because <laughs> they don't want to like, because they don't want to seize every voting machine in the country. Yeah. I am actually yeah. impressed and kind of disturbed because at this point, who is running the transition? Like they're, they're actually like, I'm wondering, oh like, God. and this would be a place where I, I really wish that the Biden administration like, would move among many, many places where I wish they would. But the moment where you're, it's like, what was the transition like from a guy who's very clearly trying to seize power by force? I mean, you, he, you're, you're watching this guy very obviously refuse to acknowledge that he's lost the election, refuse to acknowledge your popular vote totals, refuse to acknowledge your electoral vote total, like fight in tooth and nail in every way, delegitimize the votes that you received, and you still have to absorb the federal government from this guy. You've got a handful of weeks, and every point of the way, he's having even the, the lawyers who didn't, who were worried about getting disbarred, which frankly, I think our National Lawyer Association needs to have a real strict rule on disbarment, and it should happen the moment. This kind of shit happens. Anybody floating in illegal coup? The, the fact that you kept keep your law degree, like it's insane to me. Like you, you, you can get disbarred for like forgetting to do a set of like re-upping exams like every few years. But somehow Rudy Giuliani is still a legal barred lawyer. Like this is unacceptable. Okay, like somewhere in there, law people. I know lawyers listen to this, probably appalled, but. You know, why? Why? <laughs> why? Why is your profession like this? You know, and like they're they're the lawyers are the last sane people in the room. And we're talking about Trump lawyers here. People who have right. always known who they were working for. And that was the thing to me that was just so striking. It's like who he, who in that room was even trying to talk to the Bi- incoming Biden administration about how they were going to transition just the basic function of government because the White House counsel does not work for the president of the United States specifically. They work for the presidency. And so they weren't supposed to be even there. I think that was probably the last thing on their mind. (laughs) Totally.
Hey there, overwhelmed foodies. Are you drowning in a sea of meal kit options, feeling like you're in a bad dating game where every contestant looks the same, with the same fish picture? Fear not, because amidst the chaos, there's one shining star worth your culinary affection. Home Chef is not just another fish in the meal kit sea. They're the gourmet catch that you've been dreaming of. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes, conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you and the entire family covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week, and they serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it is economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. So for a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash feverdream. That's homechef.com slash feverdream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash feverdream. You must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. It is, like, worth remembering that this was, like, this was actively 2020. This was December 2020. This was, like, eight months into the pandemic. And that winter was bad, right? Like, that was really a bad a bad winter. And in that moment, like Sammy said, like that was the moment where he could have walked away. The committee has spent a lot of time stressing and reminding people that like, even the people that have been so bitter about losing, they lose, they acknowledge that they lost. And like, this is just unprecedented for him to take even some of the initial steps that he did, much less these ultimate steps. And, you know, that, that, that December 19th tweet really did sort of give, you know, the militias, the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, the green light that they were waiting for. And they immediately began coordinating together, which apparently they previously hadn't really worked together. The committee showed, you know, really impactful visuals about how they went about planning this. They shared maps of the Capitol tunnels with each other online. This started happening because Trump made that tweet, you know. Stephen Ayers, who pleaded guilty to one charge of disorderly and disruptive conduct for his actions on January 6th, told the committee that they didn't even intend to go to the Capitol until Trump gave them a reason to in that December 19th tweet. And he also said that they left the Capitol because Trump asked him to. Let's listen to him in that clip. Did you think that the president would be marching with you? Um, yeah, I think everybody thought he was going to be coming down. Um, you know, he said in his speech, you know, kind of like he's going to be there with us. So, I mean, I think I believed it. I understand. Um, we know that you illegally entered the Capitol that afternoon and then left the Capitol area later on. What, what made you decide to leave? Um, basically, when President Trump put his tweet out, we literally left right after that come out. Um, you know, to me, if he would have done that earlier in the day, 1.30, I, I, you know, you know, we wouldn't be in this, maybe we wouldn't be in this bad of a situation or something. So pretty clearly connecting, you know, had Trump told us to leave that morning or not to approach the Capitol, 
uh, we would not have. What did you guys think of, of Stephen Ayers' testimony? I thought that was really powerful because of the average citizen of it all. You know, they weren't, he wasn't involved in, he wasn't heavily involved. He wasn't even, um, that Von Tatenhove, the other witness yesterday was like, thank you for critical saying to the, <laughs> to the oath keepers. Um, and though he had like denounced it a long time ago, like he wasn't directly involved. He wasn't one of the people who can say, I responded to these social media postings because I believed everything that our president said. And it's really, when you think about it, like, yeah, I could give the least charitable opinion of that. But like my most charitable opinion is that this is just a guy who had his own unique life where he was set on a certain path and he believed everything that the president said. And like at some point you have to acknowledge that like there it did involve manipulating people. And so those people are like slightly less liable than the president. Yeah. But I also want to bring it back to like, not to say I told you so, but anyone who was probably being called alarmist in 2015 could have told you that this would how, was how it was going to end because that yeah. is who this person was. And like, it's, that is what's most frustrating is that it's like, it was clear. It was never a question that this would be how it went. And you wish people on the Republican side had realized that sooner and maybe done more or like the media or Democrats. Mm -hmm. I wish both like there was sort of how people humored him with up until December 14th. People humored him, his his candidacy, his presidency. And like they treat him as if he's a normal person, but he's not a normal person. And they all know he's not a normal person. And yet they still did. And now, even here, we're still kind of acting like he was a normal person. Yeah, if he runs for president again, we're going to have to, they're going to tell us that we have to act like he's a normal person. And you have to do both sides journalism. And it's like, what the fuck? I mean, when you look at this meeting in the White House, not only does it sound pretty similar to like a very dysfunctional family, but a collection of many people with untreated mental illness. Like, yeah, this was not normal. The whole thing is, it's kind of like the nature of tragedy is that it's inevitable, you know? people's fatal flaws come through. And I thought a lot about how I, I was less sympathetic to Stephen Ayers than I was to um, Benton Totenhoff. Um, because Benton Totenhoff, I mean, interestingly enough, like I was like, oh, he, he realized like he was an extremist. He just bought in. He it yeah. just gave him a sense of identity. And he acknowledges that that's what it did. Like, it gave him a community. It gave him people he identified with. He understood. And then he heard something that was just like, that is literally so batshit. I cannot process it. Like, I can't. Like, it broke the spell. It made him realize he didn't want to be in community with people who, he, where he would have to agree that this horrible thing that was said, I'm not going to get into what exactly broke it for him. It should have gotten broken immediately. Like all sane and reasonable people should hear these people at a standoff and be like, you're probably not great. Yeah. But in this particular case, Stephen Ayers, I feel, I do feel a certain sympathy in, in kind of getting deluged with information and no one clarifying. He was talking about how he was following in all of these different places everywhere on social media. And I, I think we don't talk enough about media literacy. I think we don't talk enough about critical thinking. I think we don't talk enough about how 
our information systems have been completely destroyed. And so there are a lot of people who are at the higher end who like do this for a living. I mean, we do share and process information and we don't realize how few people actually are doing it the way that we do because that's our job. Our job is to literally absorb massive amounts of information, figure out what is and is not legitimate, focus in on different areas and understand what evidence looks like and what that means in a, a real context. Yeah, I wouldn't do that for free. <laughs> right? And But people have to in order for the system to work. And I think that that's yeah. one of the reasons that's, that was the fact that like the literacy rate in like 1776 or whatever was like crazy low is part of the reason we have all these anti-majoritarian things in the government because people could be easily overwhelmed because they couldn't read, because they didn't know, because what, what was their context or basis? And now we have so too, the opposite problem, too much information. And Stephen Ayers is, is the reflection of like, that's the dark, dark mirror of what happens when you're not paying attention to what's happening on the social media networks. I think we should talk for a second about Twitter and the Twitter employee who was like, we knew he was a problem. We saw him rallying this mob. We understood that they were using the platform to gather extremists and we didn't do anything. And, you know, I, I was wrong. I said, like, many, many, many moons ago when people were calling for Trump to be pushed off of Twitter and to, for his account to be blocked. I was like, well, yeah, he's violated terms of service, but, like, that's you're never going to get that to happen. And then it only happened once the worst case scenario. And it's like, you know what? They should have, we should have been more aggressive on this. I was wrong. We, they, this should have been a policy that we really pushed for a lot more. Well, I think we have to acknowledge that this employee's opinion was that Twitter relished in their importance because of Trump's centrality to the platform. If you think about it, like for four years, five years, we were associating Twitter with Trump and what he would say and people like built followings on being like reply guys. So I I mean, I think that there's so much, again, ego, capitalism, drive for growth at all costs, because that's what you need to survive in this fucking system. You can't make the moral choice, or I mean, you can, but you will not benefit from it. And And if you you want to eat meals, yeah. Yeah, like there's so many positions where people cannot make the moral choice because they they need to be able to feed their families and there's no social safety net that if they make the right choice and whistleblow and they lose their job, their kids might not be able to eat. So it's like, these are the real questions that people who worked at Facebook and Twitter were probably facing. Um, yeah. I, Caitlin, just about your, your comment on Van Tatenhoe versus Stephen Ayers. I thought it was really interesting I did personally viscerally react better to Van, Von Tatenhove as well, but I think that's because he has like several, he's been out of the Oath Keepers for several years. That's number one. So he's had like a lot of reflection time. Number two is that he was really up close to Stuart Rhodes and the leadership. Mm-hmm. So he was able to sense the hypocrisy, the bullshit. Do these people really believe it? They could actually, he could actually draw like a character judgment on who was leading this group. Whereas, like, Stephen Ayers is just, like, one guy in the mob. Like, he could have been any of them. That's why I feel like this guy, who knows 
what he was raised with and like and like you said i mean i think and and it, it is that that mob of un- that were lied to that provides you know the cover i mean even like people that fall more on our side of the politics a lot of people make their decisions because they're like oh my friend sam and i were talking about this in another context recently like oh my friend who's smart and reads a lot of news told me this told, like imagine hearing that like told me that that Trump says there's no way Biden won, and the news says that that's that that's true. And you also lack community and have a crisis of your masculinity, and aren't that good at critical thinking? You know that that makes up a large amount of people that can you know cause a lot of a lot of damage. So I think that's really interesting to sort of frame those two as two different types of of challenges uh, that are in front of us in terms of addressing this type of extremism. Yeah, I mean we the. They both represent, I mean, one of the things that I did appreciate was they, the, that Benny Thompson, a uh, rep Benny Thompson asked. Leading man of the summer. Truly, truly magnificent. <laughs> Everyone's focusing on Liz Cheney because she's so her. But yeah, Benny Thompson, Jamie Raskin, uh, Stephanie Murphy. Jamie Raskin, I loved, I felt like the whole time he was like reacting, like they would play the clips and they needed to make a face like, did you see that? Yes. Did you see that? And Stephanie Murphy is, she's not running again, right? She is not. Mm. And that's yeah. such a shame because her story was so, so powerful. But I, I really appreciate that Thompson asked, what made you break? Like, what was the point at which you realized that this had gone too far? And I appreciate both answers, Um, not just because, I mean, obviously, there's no way I'm going to get sucked into a neo-Nazi movement. So I feel very comfortable saying, like, there's a certain amount of comfort where I'm like, I would never, but extremism can happen to any of us. And the more volatile a political moment is, the more when people get to what they think is going to confirm their identities, confirm their safety, confirm who it is that they are. Identity is such a huge part of how we process existence. And that is just a human thing. And that is not a, a, you know, oh, if you're this way, like, no, all of us are constantly processing things through these lenses that we have that are the only way we know how existence is. Like, this is who I am. And this is the only way I can really understand what information is doing. I except to listen to other people and their lenses. And, Honestly, the, the reality is, is that while I don't think we're in any danger of a left-wing politic in this country running rampant, the impulses to commit so completely to a line of thought that you find yourself doing things that you never thought you would do, that's a very, very common experience. There's a reason it's called a slippery slope. So we have to ask, what are we going to do to pull yeah. people back? from this abyss and are we willing to take those steps because right now like the choices that we have to make are going to lead to backlash because of the amount of people who are stuck inside this information ecosystem that is just not designed to inform them it's designed to propagandize Mm -hmm. them it's designed, designed to make them extreme it's designed to lead them to the bottom of the slippery slope and what are we going to do we can't just like turn that off that's a long-term project. Our immediate short-term issues require very intense action that could very well trigger a lot of these people to slide right to the bottom. 
Yeah, I mean, as you were saying that, a good example I thought of for like how that can manifest not just on like extreme left or ex- right wing extremism is kind of some of the things we saw during Depp Heard. I saw, you know, NBC News putting putting money behind their Depp Heard coverage that they all of these outlets knew was getting picked up and frank in very dark ways by people that I might not have expected to take certain perspectives. And it, that really jarred me in terms of another way that like, you know, and you might disagree, but based on your own experience, but I was like, I don't know how much critical thinking is going on here. I actually had somebody close to me, very close to me, family, who was absolutely on the other side. And I could not understand this. I couldn't, I couldn't process it. Like their identity, who they were, everything suggested that like they should uh, like align with a survivor domestic abuse but it wasn't clicking. It wasn't at all. They were completely immersed in this media media ecosystem that was dissecting what she was saying and blah, blah. And I was like, and now I'm watching it roll out with Evan Rachel Hurd. Um, sorry. Evan, that's, God, I am so scared about and that. And I'm so nervous for her. And I'm pointing out that like Marilyn Manson was close friends with Johnny Depp. And like, it's very weird for him to, to like, it's very weird somehow that this, like very obvious abuser just was with somebody who's not or something. It's like, there's, there's clear indicators here. And yet at the same time, you had so many people who would very readily be like, I believe in, you know, supporting survivors. And I believe all this other stuff who, you know, put rainbow flags and trans flags and all this other stuff on things. Right. Mm-hmm. And they were on the other side. Yeah, no, that's exactly the example. And that's, a that's, you know, we can vilify each other, but that's also just like an information problem or I don't know, but definitely another manifestation that needs to be addressed that like Sammy said, there's just like the, the, the media ecosystem, like it does not reward nuance and middle ground and, you know, saying we don't know the answer here. It, it rewards, you know, a lot of, a lot of intensity. It also doesn't reward takes that sound extreme, but are actually just true. Yeah, that's so it's like the they can't it's like you can't handle nuance, but you also can't handle when words right. are used that are like Yeah. You can't do like here's a here's an actual reported article on what it would mean to expand the court. You have to do like here's an uh, 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 radical op ed about expanding the court. It's like oh, yeah. actually, I mean, given given how given how we got here, but um so far I think we all still are like pretty satisfied with how these hearings are going, if not a little impatient for things to result from them. Yeah, I think they should release it like as a series, frankly. I'm I'm dead serious because I try to watch it during the day and like we're working, it's really hard, but I could watch it from like eight to 11 at night. Yeah, I mean, their next one is primetime, which is good, but I did this this morning because I had to catch up on it. I watched it on YouTube in 2X speed and that was great. It was a little, I mean, I was a little stressed. It was a little like, ah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But some of them do talk quite slow, so it was nice. I was able to watch live the benefits of my personal, like my personal life right now. Um, yeah. But I think that one of, yeah, obviously it should be turned into a series. I actually think that one of the things that would be really helpful is actually breaking it down into smaller bite-sized bits. So that mm-hmm. way people can kind of trace, because this is such a well done narrative. It's such a well done exploration of what happened. I think that one of the things that is not going to happen and this is partially because of the Republicans on the committee and certain things that they have pulled punches on. But I do not think we are going to see the real scale of accountability that we're going to need 
for this. I have already been trying to seed the ground because you need to to get people where we need to go. It's going to need to be a movement towards that space, a campaign around this knowledge that we have acquired, that they have disseminated, that gets us to a place where it's like, we should be talking constitutional amendments. This is not even a question. The EC needs to go. And the in order to get to that place, we need to start talking about, and you know I'm going to bring it up, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. There's a reason that section exists. It's a very good reason. You cannot have people who try to overthrow the government representing people in government. It just cannot be done. This is They're anti-democratic. They fundamentally do not respect the basic rule of law. Every single one of those people, 147 Republicans in Congress, including six senators. Now, imagine if we could get six Republican senators replaced. We talk all the time about, okay, we can get two more. Fuck that noise. (laughs) I want them all. I want Mitch McConnell in particular, because Mitch knew. Mitch was aware of a huge chunk of this shit, which is part of the reason he was playing interference. If he didn't know then there's no reason for him to go to the mat for Donald Trump the way that he did post-election by keeping it all quiet, by not talking about this stuff. I want to know who knew what. I want to know. I want to use those votes. I think we should be using the 14th Amendment. And I think we should be having some really serious conversations about who gets to wield power in this system. And that is what January 6th should lead us towards. And then from there, once you've gotten rid of a big chunk of Congress, by the way, I did the math. That is about a third of Congress. That's a third of Congress. There's a full-blown, not per party, full-blown Congress, 400, 535 people. That's just under, it's about a quarter. So, like, it's a problem. Yeah, I, d- I don't know how you could. Uh, I think if you watch what they talked about yesterday, like, I don't know how you can make any conclusion other than these people tried to overthrow the government. But we have to end it there. We uh, will look forward to their next primetime hearing until the end of democracy. I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Betches Sub Podcast. Bye. The Betches Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to suppod at betches.com. Betches.